So yes, uh, Laura is my sister, and I remember years ago when Mark told me, you know, is it okay if I think your sister's hot? I'm like, no, that's not okay. <laughs> but anyways, a little bit about me. So six years ago, I was on this stage and sharing about this church plant that we were going to do down in Oak Park. Oak Park is down where all the freeways come together by the UC Davis Med Center. And um, that was like six years ago, almost to the day, almost to the month, right around this time. And so we planted a church called Hope Church, and it was going well, and then everything happened with COVID, and we were displaced. We were meeting at a high school, and so they said, you can't meet here anymore. And so we basically then went to virtual, and then we went to my backyard, and through it all, the Lord then led us to merge with another church. So we're actually no longer Hope Church. There was another church in the neighborhood called Providence Church. We were Hope Church, and now we are called One Church, based on John 17, that they may be one, that prayer of unity. And so during the pandemic, we realized, um, as we were all in, at home trying to figure out, okay, what's next? A lot of what we were doing in the neighborhood just stopped because it was through the local school. And so what we did then was kind of reevaluate, reposture, and we decided to do a learning center um, in the neighborhood because the elementary school that we work with, basically uh, there were a ton of kids just not showing up. In fact, 30% of the kids, spring of 2020, didn't, didn't log in even once during that time. So imagine that, just not even once. I was talking to one of the principals, and he said, yeah, 30% of our student body, we honestly have no idea where they're at. We, we've gone to their house, we can't even find them. And so we started this learning center. Kids would come, and we would kind of teach them how to read, teach them how to use Google Classroom and things of that sort. And then um, we were doing it with this other church. And so the two churches, we were like, man, we work pretty well together. It seems like we're better together than apart. And so in that process of serving the neighborhood, we decided to merge. And so even now, after we've merged, we're still doing the learning center with that same elementary school. And that elementary school, just to give you some context, like 92% of the student body, 92% of the student body during the pandemic were truant, chronically truant. So you just imagine how far behind they are. Like there's this kid that I work with named Jose. I asked him what grade he was in, and he went like this. I'm like, Second? He's like, yeah, second grade. And so I've been working with him literally the last two weeks on just how to say the word cat and just walking through that. I'm like, cat, cat. And then he does it, and he's like, at. He just, he just can't do it. And so these kids are not a grade level behind. They are multiple grade levels behind. So if any of you guys would love to come down and serve with us, Mark said I could give this plug, do it. Even for just 30 minutes, I know it's a 30-minute drive down, just come down. For that 30 minutes, you'd work with the same kid, build a relationship with them, and uh, bless them. So anyways, that's what I'm up to, that's what we're up to, and that's what you guys are partnering with. You guys give financially, some of you guys have actually come down there to help out, and so anyways, thank you for how you've given over the last six years to allow us to do what we're doing in the neighborhood. So today, I didn't know on Friday afternoon what I was going to preach on because Mark called me on Friday night. He's like, dude, I went to get ice cream and I can't taste it. He's like, can you preach for me? I'm like, yeah, I'll preach. So I'm going to be preaching on Jesus today. I'm going to be preaching on the gospel. You guys just got done going through the values, right? 
the values of Creekside. The first value is we are shaped by the gospel in everything. Do you believe that? Do you believe, like, are you shaped by the gospel in everything? Because it was like 15 years ago, I was meeting with this guy that I was apparently discipling and investing in, and he's like, Matt, I don't think you get the gospel. And I'm like, yes, I do. I just got done with seminary. I get the gospel. He's like, no, no, I, I, I know you get the facts of the gospel, but I'm not seeing the gospel like shape and change your everyday life. And that was just like mind-blowing to me. I didn't get that. That didn't make sense, his statement, his rebuke to me. And so I want you guys to think about this. I would say all of us, if I were to ask you what the gospel is, you'd be like, you'd say something like, you know, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. And like the message of salvation is like these two facts. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and then Jesus rose again three days later. Right? Do those facts shape everything. Let's be honest. No, they should, but they don't. So like if I were to ask you right about last week how those two facts or just that Jesus is Savior, Lord, and King shaped last week, would it be more than a paragraph? I'm just saying like that was a realization for me. It's like I think sometimes like we know the facts of the gospel, like we know two facts from World War II. Like I know about D-Day and I know about Pearl Harbor. Like so we know the facts, but have those facts begun to shape us? So let me just unpack it for a minute. So like Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross so that I could die to my old self, die to my own desires, my old identity. Would you say that this last week you've seen the death of Christ as a reality in your life killing your old self this last week? Did you see that supernatural reality of the cross rushing at you on a Thursday night when you wanted to scream at your kids and you saw self-control? Or would you say that you have seen the reality of Jesus rising again in your life this last week? Because for me, that was how I got saved. I would pull the gospel out to like save somebody. And Jesus would save through that message. I'd be like, okay, when do I reach for the gospel? The only time I reached for the gospel was when I was face to face with someone who was yet to believe. And I'm like, I'm going to share the gospel. And then I would put the gospel back in my pocket and only bring it out again when somebody needed to hear about Jesus. What I want to do today is share the gospel for those of us who believe, so that, as your value states, we can be shaped by the gospel in everything. That was a journey that I had to begin, that I didn't even know I had to begin 15 years ago, after graduating from seminary, unfortunately. So look at this first verse. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians 5, or Galatians, just in general. We'll get to Galatians 5. Starts off and it says this. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there, there is another one, but there are some of you who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So this is not the way to start a letter, but Paul starts it. Like, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of this. He's like, I'm shocked, I'm astonished, I cannot believe that somehow, someway, you have deserted the gospel of Christ. Now, go on to chapter 3. 
very beginning of chapter 3, it reads like this. Verse 1. Next slide. It says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Again, he's two chapters in. He has not got any more encouraging. The tone is still the same. Foolish Galatians, who has tricked you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And all of us would be like, faith, we get that. That's membership class 101. Like, we are saved by faith alone. So that first question in verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? We'd be like, faith, duh, we get this. Okay, hold up. Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Galatians 3, verse 3, is the main point of the whole letter to the Galatians. It's to us. Are you so foolish, having knowing that you received your salvation by faith, are you now seeking to be sanctified by works? How many of us, as Tim Keller had put it, he's put it, we get that the gospel is the ABCs of Christianity, but do we realize that the gospel is the A to Z of Christianity? Like, we keep needing to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, again and again and again. So, that was me. That is me so often where I'm like, I know I'm saved by faith, but do I live by faith? At the end of the day, do I credit myself with my good, or do I credit God with my good? So keep going here. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Next slide. It says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So he's saying this freedom that the gospel is calling us into is not a religious life. How many of us have lived this religious life? Where our Christianity is do this, don't do this. Say this, don't say this. Live this way, don't live this way. And each day we're like trying so hard to live this life by ourselves for God. But it's doing this, doing that. And it's just like this burden. It's not my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying freedom in living for Christ, freedom in the gospel is, is not going to be submitting again to this yoke of slavery. So the gospel is not a religious life. Now look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So the gospel is not a religious life. The gospel is also not a reckless life. Where it's just like, I'm just going to live however I want. I'm saved. I'm good. I got in. I got my ticket. And so therefore, I'm just going to live in the freedom and do whatever I want. No one can say anything because I got Jesus. That's not freedom. And a lot of us, this is our Christianity. It's like serve, obey, go to church, do this, do that. Our religiosity. And then that gets tired, tiring, right? It gets overwhelming. We start feeling like this is just too much. And so then we give ourselves a break. And we live this reckless life for a bit, do we not? We're like, I'm just going to live however I want. Like, we got freedom in Christ. I'm going to continue in sin that grace may abound. All this junk we have in our mind to justify giving ourselves some time off 
And then we start feeling bad and guilty, and so we want to make it up to God, and so then we swing over here to this religious life. And so back and forth we swing. Well, some of us get smart, right? And we're like, I'm going to live right here in the middle. I'm not going to be all crazy religious so people don't call me all holier than thou. I'm not going to be all crazy reckless so people don't rebuke me and say I'm, saying I'm a hypocrite. So I'm just going to like live here in the center. I would say that's lukewarm. That's spiritual mediocrity. That's just being apathetic. That's not, there's no freedom. There's no joy in this. So look at this slide here, this image that I put up here. This is the life that many of us live. And we claim that we're living, that this is Christianity, but I would say this is a life without God. Where we live this reckless life, this religious life, or anywhere on this spectrum, it's not a life living with God. This is what the Galatians were struggling with. This is how the Galatians had deserted the gospel of Christ. This is, as I decide, like, discipleship is my main hustle. It's like my main thing. It's the thing I love to do. It's the thing that keeps me in ministry and all the lows. This is where I love to walk with people and talk with people, is getting people off this life-sucking, joyless spectrum of following God. So if this is not it, what is it? Look with me at verse 16. Verse 16 says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So whenever you see a, a phrase start with the word but in Scripture, he's changing direction. He's like, but I say to you, it's, it's, it's not a reckless life, it's not a religious life, but I say to you, the life that God is calling you to is walk by the Spirit. And look at the promise. If we somehow, someway figure out how to walk by the Spirit, look at the promise. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's pretty crazy. Do you realize that there is nothing that you can do, nothing you can do to change the desires of your flesh. Nothing. No behavior mod, no internet blockers, nothing can change the desires of the flesh. You can change your hands, you can change what you do for a bit. The only thing that can change our desires is the Spirit of God, is the gospel. That's what we need to be shaped by each and every day. So he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? Why is that true? Look at verse 17. For the desires of the go back, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other. There's this war going on. Have you experienced that? That verse was the most encouraging verse for me about 10 years ago. Why? Because it was proof positive I was saved. So whenever you feel that battle, and a lot of you go where I used to go, where you're like, dude, I don't even know if I'm saved. I feel this conviction. That's God. That battling that you feel, that's proof positive the Spirit of God is working in your life, fighting for you. It's that song that we just sang, the first song. Our champion, you fight for us. Have you experienced that? Our champion, you are strong 
in us? Have you experienced that? That's this verse. So we, when we walk by the Spirit, we won't live this reckless life because the Spirit of God will cause us not to gratify, not to sink our teeth into those reckless desires. That makes sense? That's pretty encouraging. So I may want to go here and live this life of the prodigal son doing whatever the heck I want, but it says if you walk by the Spirit, he will fight for you and he will rescue you in that moment out of that. Now look at verse 18. It says, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So somehow, someway, if we're led by the Spirit, we're not going to live this religious life. Isn't that encouraging? So I used to think Christianity was do this, don't do, like a a 12-step program. Like if I, the way I contain sin or avoid sin is like A, B, and C. He says here, two verbs saying the same thing. Walk by the Spirit, verse 16. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. If I somehow, someway figure out how to be led by the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, I will not live a reckless life. And at the same time, I won't live a religious life. I want that. I want that type of freedom. You see, when I, when I meet with people, and I talk to them, and I'm just asking them just a simple question like, how is your relationship with God? I often hear one of two problematic answers. And I'm guilty of these two, so I'm not above it. But I either hear the religious answer where, you know, God and I... We're good. Like, I'm going to church, I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible, I'm serving, I, 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 I'm doing all these things. So we're good. Or I hear them say, you know, God and I aren't good. Like, I'm not serving, not praying, I'm kind of giving in, I'm looking and lusting. And, and so therefore, God and them are not good. What if you were to ask me about my relationship with Sarah, and I were to answer that same question in the same vein. How's, how, how are you and Sarah doing? Oh, we're good. I've taken out the trash every day this week. I kiss her every morning. I compliment her every time she gets dressed. I fill her car up with gas. I, 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 so it's good. You'd be like, really? So you define and describe your good relationship with your wife by doing the honey-do list? That would be just weird, Right? But that's how we define and describe our relationship with God. I would say instead, if we're honest, that's how we're defining and describing our religion with this God of ours. But God is calling us into a journey, into a relationship. That's why he says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit, and then here in verse 18, be led by the Spirit. You see, this is the life of freedom. This is the life of joy. This is the life of love he's inviting us into. Now look where he heads. Next verse, verse 19. He says, the works of the flesh, they're evident. In other words, they're obvious. It doesn't take spiritual discernment. You don't have to have the gift of spiritual discernment to see the works of the flesh. They're obvious to everybody. And he lists them, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, like sins against our own body, idolatry, sorcery, sins against God, and then all these sins against others, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, 
He just rattles them off. He says things like these, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he says, you know, you will know when you're not walking in the spirit. It will be so obvious <coughs> when you are being led by your flesh. And then the famous verse, but the fruit of the spirit is also obvious. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay, I want you to get this. Let's put like our Bible thinking, Bible college caps on and look at this. There's not a single command in this section of the passage. He is not saying don't do those works of the flesh. He is also not saying do the fruits of the Spirit. You guys might be like, that's heresy. I'm hearing heresy. In this passage, he is not saying don't do these 13, 15 things. And he's also not saying do these eight or nine things. Elsewhere in Scripture, all these things are commanded to avoid. Elsewhere in Scripture, all these things are commanded to do. In this passage, he is not telling us avoid the, like, do not do these 15 things. Why? Because he's saying the verb we're hanging on. If somehow, some way, if we just focus on the one verb, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, we just won't do these things. And if we walk by the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, we will do the fruit of the Spirit. Get it? It's the fruit of the Spirit. So if we walk and are led by the Spirit, we will see on our tree these things. Versus each day I'm like, I'm going to get joy on my tree. I'm just going to like put a smile on my face. I'm just going to, I'm going to really try to love this annoying, obnoxious neighbor of mine. Like literally last night, my neighbor had a party. And his music turned off at 6.30 a.m. this morning. No love, no spirit-ledness last night as I was trying to sleep. Like, so love, joy, peace. He's saying if you are led by the Spirit, if you keep in step with the Spirit, you won't do these things. Not only that, you won't even want to do these things because God is changing your desires from the inside out. Likewise, if we are walking and being led by the Spirit, we're going to see these things in our lives. It's like this. Imagine, imagine you were driving down I-5 or 99 and you see all those orchards and you saw a farmer up there on the tree with a bag from Trader Joe's with duct tape and he was taking the fruit out and he was duct taping fruit, oranges, onto his tree. And say, you know, you're like me and you, you're curious and you're a little bit courageous at times. Say you were to pull over and talk to the farmer and be like, hey, what are you doing? Like, you're supposed to be picking fruit. You're taping fruit onto the tree. Be like, yeah, these trees aren't bearing fruit, so I need to look like I'm legit. So I'm taping them onto the tree. You'd be like, dude, you're crazy. There's something wrong with your tree if there's not fruit. Yet us Christians, we are so good at doing this, are we not? We don't see love, so we fake it till we make it. We don't see joy and patience and gentleness, so we just knuckle down, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and just force it when God's saying, all I'm asking you to do, walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and you won't do all those things. 
and instead you will bear this amazing supernatural fruit. That's amazing. That's the life I want to live. So at this point in this text, you might be thinking, okay, I get it. We need to walk by the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. But how? Yeah, but how? I mean, that's good theory. That's good theology. But like practically speaking, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? What does it look like to be led by the Spirit? Well, look at the last few verses here. It reads like this, verse 24. Next slide. It says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So just think about that. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified its flesh with its passions and desires. That verse can be said, people who belong to Christ Jesus are being shaped by the gospel day in and day out. The word have crucified in the original language, it's a perfect tense verb. In other words, it's something that happened in the past and has ongoing lasting results. You guys get that? So when you got saved, there was not a period at the end of that. You got saved and it was the beginning of a journey on this life with Christ where you will see not only yourself get saved, but yourself strengthened and you will see the Spirit fighting for you day in, day out. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, you will begin to see this in your life. And notice the encouragement of this. If we belong to Christ Jesus, our flesh is being crucified at what level? Our passions and desires. We won't even want to want those things we used to want. Like at that core level. And those things that we never wanted before will begin to want. Isn't that crazy? Like things I just could not stop thinking about. I look at them like, yeah. Yeah, why did I want that? Why did I do anything to get? And then the things that you looked at, you're like, dude, the have-tos of following God, like really, do I have to? They turn, on, they turn to be get-tos. That's, that's what I get to do with you, God? That's the power of the gospel. It says if we live by the Spirit, there's that verb again, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. Let us keep pace with the Spirit. You guys get, it's the same verb, the same command three times said three different ways. Walk by the Spirit, verse 16. Be led by the Spirit, verse 18. And now, verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. So again, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, but how? How do I do that? What does that look like? I want this type of freedom. I don't want to be under the law where I'm like thinking of all the have-tos and all the things each day I have to avoid. What does this life look like? I would say it's a life of dependence. Would you say that you live a life of dependence? Think about that. Everything in this culture teaches us to be more and more independent, right? Right? When you have a baby, like, that baby cannot do anything by himself or herself. Just, like, they can't bathe themselves, they can't feed themselves, they can't change themselves, nothing. They are completely dependent. And this culture says that maturity is going from a place of dependence to 
a state of independence, right? That's maturity, is going from not being able to take care of yourselves to be able, by age 18, 25, 32, move out of your parents' house and be able to stand on your own two feet doing your own thing, right? That is maturity. Do you realize that it's just the opposite with Christianity? We go from a state of independence, like, I got this, I'm amazing, look at me, and then God humbles us and shows us our sin and our need of a Savior. He shows us our dependence, and that first moment of need should be multiplied again and again and again so that every day we're waking up being like, I cannot do it without you. I have to have you. That's Christianity. Think about these verbs again. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. All these commands are dependent commands. You guys get like, you can't take any of those commands and be like, all right, King Jesus, I got this. I'm going to go do this. He'd be like, hey, hold up. Like, walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with, you got to do it with me. When my son, my oldest son, who's 15 now, when he was four, he was trying to learn to ride his bike without training wheels. And he didn't know how, but his friend, who's a girl, knew how to. She was five, and he wasn't okay with that. He wanted to ride his bike without training wheels. And so this one day, he's like, Dad, I want to do it. Take him off. I'm like, dude, buddy, not a good idea. <laughs> You're not ready. But I'm like, okay, being a good dad, I'm like, let's go do it. So we go down. I took my camera, the video camera, go down to the local elementary school, take the wheels off, put them on the bike. And he's like, I got this. I'm like, all right. And so I'm holding, this, holding the handlebars and holding the seat. And then he's going. And pretty soon, he's riding. It's good. He, he starts slapping my hand. He's like, Dad, I got this. Stop. Get the video camera. I got this. So I take my hand off. I'm still holding the seat. And he's riding. And it seems like he's balancing pretty well and steering. But pretty soon, he realizes that I'm still holding on. So then he starts slapping my hand off. He's like, Dad, I got this. I got this. So I'm like, all right, fine. It's okay. We have insurance. I let go. And he rides for a moment by himself, but he doesn't know how to turn or steer or avoid the parking curb or the chain or the building or the fence. He doesn't know how to do any of that, but for a moment, he was riding that bike by himself. That is almost all of us. That illustrates all of us spiritually. It's for about a week and a half when we get saved. We're like, God, like, Okay, I need you, I need you. But then pretty soon we're like, God, I, I got this. Like, stop. Like, God, I got this, I got this. Like, do you realize that we were never made, never made to live this life alone? Ever. God wants to keep his hand on the handlebars. He wants to continue to hold our seat. That's how we were designed. That's the design of Christianity. Look at this last slide here as we wrap up. Galatians 2.20, and then there's an image that goes with this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse, and there's tons of them, this verse for me speaks most to my heart on how to live a dependent life each and every day. Saying to ourselves when we're in the shower, when we're on a drive, 
to work, when we're brushing our teeth, God, I've been crucified with Christ. Today, today I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I'm dead. That old me is done. I have been crucified with Christ, but the life I now live is with Christ. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse will help you, and there's tons of them, to live a life each day, your value, shaped by the gospel. And this is what it looks like. Look at this image. That top spot is where we all live, and it sucks. There is no joy in it. And the world looks at that trash, and they're like, a religious life? I don't want any of that. You just don't do all this stuff. A reckless life? You hypocrite? Like, we don't want that top life. The world doesn't want to see it. We don't want to live it. So, like, come down to a different spectrum. There's good days when we're living for God, and at the end of the day, we're not like, look at me. Look at all the good that I did in this world. I'm God's MVP, VIP. No, 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 no. When we see the good in us, we're like, that was God in us. You guys get that? So when we don't yell at our kids... That was God, right? When we don't react at our neighbor playing music when you want to call the cops on them, that was God. Like, so on good days, we're not like, look at me and all the good that I do. We're like, look at God and what God did in me. That's being shaped by the gospel. But then we also have those days where we're reckless and we're not living for God. Do you realize on those days when we're sinning and doing our own thing, in those moments, we can have a God moment. So in those moments, we're just like, God, look at me, look at my sin. I'm sorry, Father. Do you, do you see that posture with Jesus? When you're sinning, you're just like, all of a sudden, God's like, just confess it. Own it. Own your mess. It's like I tell my kids over and over again when they've messed up. I'm like, when you mess up, fess up. And if they say, if, and, but, oh, it was Blythe, it was Silas, it was I'm like, no, 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 no. Say, I have sinned, Period then I will show you grace. When we just come to God, we're like, look at this mess. Look at what I looked at. Look at how I acted. If we just come to God like that, what does he do? He reaches down. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forget. He is always, as we confess our sins, in those moments, we can have a spirit-led moment of experiencing the gospel on our bad days, on our dirty, disgusting days. In those moments, if we confess our sin will be shaped by the gospel. But what do we do? We sin and we're like, oh, that sin, oh, yeah. Let's not talk to God about that. I'm going to go make it up to God for a bit. Two or three days of making it up to God. Then I'll confess the sin and my self-righteousness. That is dirty trash. That is an indication that you don't get the gospel and you're not shaped by the gospel. You're shaped by Jesus plus. Jesus and you. If you can, this week, when you sin, just confess it to God. God, God, I messed up. And also, when you confess it to God, to almost see that image of, here you go, son. Here you go, daughter. And feel loved and secure in that moment. Guess what? You are being shaped by the gospel in everything. You're even being shaped by the gospel in the midst of your sin. That is where life, that is where joy and love is. That is the type of witness that the world needs to see. 
that is what turns heads. That is what's going to cause our neighbors to be curious and want to find out about this Savior, this Lord, this King that we follow. So I'm going to pray for us, and the thing that I'm going to pray specifically for you is that this week that you would have not a come-to-Jesus moment, but a gospel-Jesus awareness moment that either when you're having a good day or a bad day, that you would experience that day with God and that the gospel would shape you in that moment. Father, I pray that you would help us to be shaped by the gospel in everything. Father, I pray that this week, as some of us struggle with addiction, as some of us struggle with looking and lusting or reacting or treating our spouse or our kids poorly, in those weak moments, Father, I pray that we would experience your grace rushing upon us and your grace shaping us in those moments. And Father, on those good days, when we're feeling pretty good about ourselves, I pray that we would see that it was you in us, working through us, loving through us, making us better. So Father, help us to live this life with you, keeping in step with your spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.